the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. This is A State of Control, Episode 17, recorded Friday, February 6th, 2015. Safe word. This is A State of Control, your monthly look at the control control and automation segment of the AV industry. My name is Tom Albright. I'm your host. With us is Mr. Richard Fragoza from Fragoza Design. How are you, sir? Good, good. Soggy West Coast greetings this time right now. We're just uh, got the beginning of a storm coming in. So I would have liked to have said that, you know, it was sunny and balmy 70 like, uh, you know, who uh, I, I, you guys had it down at AV Week in L.A. that... Uh, had the, the sunny the the seventy and sunny going on. I don't got that. We got rain. Well, there's there's different. You know, there's there's a dividing line in California. You know, there's L.A. and then everybody else, right? So it's always or sunny. There's us. Yeah, there there's us and the rest of the state. We want to secede. You know, one, <laughs> one of the others. So. All right. Also with us from the Sextant Group, Mr. David Barnett. How are you, sir? Howdy. I'm doing all right. Excellent. Chilly uh, here. No rain. Chilly. <laughs> but there is there, is there snow on the ground still? Oh, yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. Like, uh, it's been here all week. It's pretty gross. <laughs> Last but not I like snow. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big it's fan of it. good for, like, 20 minutes, and then it gets old quick. Well, yeah, especially if you have to shovel it or, or live in it yeah. on a daily basis, so... Uh, and last but not least, Mr. Steve Greenblatt, Chief Muckety Muck, over at Control Concepts. How are you, sir? Doing great. Great to be on, and uh, great to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so, so here's the thing. Last time... We talked, and last time we did a, a state of control, we, we talked about the value of of well-written code, right? Um, and we got into it, and we got into it. Um, it was it, so we only got, I think at least, we only scratched the surface, and I, I think the the other three gentlemen here uh, would, would would agree with that because we we thought so much that we're going to do a part two, honestly. Um, so, Steve, we're going to talk, kick it off with you here. Um, there are certain, I'm not going to call them standards. There, there's, there are ways of writing code, right? Uh, there are ways of doing this that different schools of thought, right, um, will, will adhere to, whether that's, you know, the nomenclature or, you know, caps versus no caps, this, that, and the other. Take me down though. When when you're training your your programmers, right? When you're training the folks that work in control concepts, what do you tell them when when you talk, start talking about you know when you're trying to keep everything together and everything the same? How do you? I guess I guess the best way to ask this is how do you manage that? Well, I think the the idea of of trying to get people to conform to a specific way of writing code can be a challenge because everybody has their own way, their own technique, what they're used to, what they're comfortable with. But what is most important is that it needs to be understandable. So although you may not write something exactly the same way as your neighbor, you need to be able to have your neighbor look at 
what you're doing and understand it to be able to help you, to be able to hand it off, to be able to collaborate. And, and I think that, that that's the, the big point. Um, we try to, of course, instill the idea of documentation, the idea of programming in a, in a what, what I guess would be considered a, an efficient manner, but, but not overly optimized because I think that there's something to be said for writing code that's a little bit more verbose because the ability to make changes and, and again, to understand it, you need to be able to go back to your code and, and be comfortable diving into it months later or, or potentially years later. So um, that those, those are the things that I, I think are most important to us is, is to, to make sure that, it, that it's well written from, from, the ask, from, from the concept that it makes sense, it's, it's well structured, it's neat, it's documented. You, you're not leaving remnants of other projects in your system so that the, when somebody goes to troubleshoot, they don't start going down some dead, dead end streets, uh, which, which I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've done. I, I, I have had to do, do some things that are real quick and you start with a, a project and, and you um, try to morph it into this, this new project. Inevitably, it comes back to bite you. So, so the, those are a couple of things that, that, that we really um, hold as guiding principles and, and, uh, and, and standards, I guess, with, within our organization. Okay. Uh, Rich, you, you've, you've, you actually, both of you have, have guided me on this. You, you've got an interesting take where, uh, whether it's the guys that work for you directly or, or sometimes when you have to, you, you sub it out to, to other folks, that if, if you can't look at it, right, if you can't pick up somebody's code and make sense of it, then it's not good, right? Because like Steve said, sometimes you have to go back to it six months, a year later, and you have to be able to decipher what you wrote. So what are the, some of the things that, that you guys do to put into place um, that help the handoff, right? So the handoff to me is when one person writes kind of like the base code type, gives it to somebody else, they're actually in the field, turning up the room, making everything work. Um, what are some of the things that you guys do with your organization that helps that handoff happen and, and, and a more successful, uh, a more successful, um, program. Well, I think, um, you know, in the last podcast, it was, uh, what David had said is, uh, you know, that I, I started laughing, but it's true is that, you know, you focus on being lazy, right? You know, how do you focus on being lazy is you put all the information out there so that you don't have to tax your brain as hard. Um, you know, what we found is interesting enough in between the time that we had part one of the podcast and part two of the podcast, we've been focusing more on some of the new tools, you know, some of the new software development tools that have become available. And as the, it's, it's kind of cool. And I was really looking forward to this podcast because I'm starting to see the first part of the sea change where the purpose-driven AV type code that, you know, everybody had their own secret sauce is starting to move towards true computer science um, uh, uh, standards, you know, and, and actual standards, you know. It's like when you got a million guys that are coding this and you got two million lines of code, people are actually coming up with rules on how to make some of this stuff work, better or not, you know, but it depends. Um, and what I'm discovering is is just that, is that, as we start drifting away from the way that it's been and we're moving towards the way that it is, is spending more time 
you know, actually, you know, actually flexing your computer science chops. You know, this is the right way to structure. This is the right way to name. This is the right way to comment. And additionally, um, and I don't think we even talked about it the last time, is the use of the the software tools that are out there. Version control. You know, how do you get it from internally from person one to person two? Well, when you write the piece of code and you check it out and you put it back in, you document what you just did. So you know during that that day's work or that week's work or the on-site work gets back checked back out they work on it they put it back in and you you have a paper trail you know for for lack of a better term of of how did you do it why did you do it you know what were the challenges that were presented and being able to pull it either through your version notes or through the commenting in the code itself and and I think right now you know the way that the way we've done it for a long time is and I've always said is if you can't basically build the the user manual out of the comments in your simple program then you're not doing your job because your your memory is just not going to help you. Not if you've if you're a thousand projects later, you're just not going to be able to recall that information off the off the top of your head. If you're a one person you know company, you know yeah maybe you can. And if you have an infinite capacity to you know kind of collect the minutia, great. But you know we're moving towards a, a more collaborative phase in how our market and and our field is maturing. And I think what's happening now is uh, you know, for us, and it's 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 a lot. It's breaking a lot of bad habits. I mean, I've got my own bad habits. I mean, I was I was by myself for a long time, and then as we've grown, and I've gone, gee, you know, I have to get what's in my head to somebody else, and I can't just do it by osmosis. I need to actually start following my own rules, and that's what we're finding out is making use of the tools that are out there. And they're get, and our software is now getting to the point where we can use the existing tools out there to keep us playing within the rules better. Okay, so if if someone's out there and they don't know what those tools are, right? What are one or two of them that you guys use or that you know of that helps with with version control, that helps with that whole checkout thing and and the documentation? Yeah, you'll hear the acronym SVN. Right. Okay. So that's um, it's versioning software, and there's different derivatives that are out there. Um, you know, and, and depending on how how you're putting your code together, but what it basically does is it allows you to take your software and put it into a giant repository and be able to put sections of your code in and out, whether it's your, your user interface files, whether it's your, um, you know, your actual programming files. We use it for our documentation. We use it for everything um, that we put it all in there. It's in a central location. Um, and then as we need a piece, we take it out, we work on it. And then when we're putting it back in, you have to comment it. It's just you, 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 we don't allow it back in unless you tell us what you've done. Okay. Um, and those are and and you know I mean if you type in SVN in Google, all of a sudden you're gonna see like you know twenty thousand hits that'll pop up. Um, you know we use a version called Tortoise. Um, you know very simple and you know very much applies to um, a lot of the code that that you know people who'd be watching this show are doing. Um, and for us, from a collaborative effort, and I mean we've only been doing it. I mean, now heavily, like heavily vested into it, probably about a year. Um, but we're starting to see the dividends now because we're not worried about, oh, you know, we grabbed that piece of code and I made the change over here and, oh, I forgot to give it back to you. And all of a sudden somebody else starts working on the code. And next thing you know, you've got two mismatched versions and what used to work now doesn't. And now you've got new cool stuff. And then it's just hell. And, you know, you start losing money and you start losing confidence. And the client gets upset because it becomes the, you know, you showed up and you fixed two things and you broke nine. You know, that's that's the common thing that you hear, and and um, you know, it, it's it, we got to grow up as an industry. I mean, that's that's constantly what I keep 
looking at just in terms of our company structure, which is we got to grow up. Um, you've got to become a real software development company. You can't just be cowboys anymore throwing a couple of pieces of code and saying, hey, look, the TV turned on. We win. Um, it doesn't work anymore. And what's going to happen, especially as the way that the tech is progressing and we are going to see other outside influences for control, um, you know, you're, you're not going to be around much longer if, if you're going to try keep if you're going to keep doing it the way that you have. Real quickly, um, do you use a, a, a local version of that, or is it, is it a cloud solution for that so everybody can touch it, whatever they want? It varies. I mean, you can have, you know, your, if, if you're a large enough company, you can have your own hosted server version. Before we did that, we were using Dropbox, you know, as we were feeling it out. You know, we used a very simple version. I mean, everything has its pros and cons, you know. You've got stability, reliability, speed, and cost, you know, and it's kind of the, what is it, uh, what is it? Reliable, uh, simple, cheap. Pick two out of three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? So we've spent a whole lot of time going. Okay, how is it that we we can stage it? And you know, we're we're still going through growing pains with it. We every once in a while we run across a version. We're like, ooh, we didn't think about that one. Um, but uh, you know, depending. I mean, it depends on the rules. And you know, the the beauty of it again is how you're built up. And I know some companies do already. Is if you've got your portal. You know, and you're, you've got a client-facing portal, and they need their source code because, again, they've bought it and they've contracted it, and you've licensed it. They should be, they should have the ability to access it. These are all the important things, you know, as our smaller companies kind of move out of from being the wild west and and moving into truly being a software development industry. Okay. Uh, David, let's bring the, the the consultant in here from from you guys' standpoint, from Sexton or, or just in, called consultants in general. Mm-hmm. What mechanisms can you put in place, whether it's in the scope of work, whether it's in the documentation, that outlines the way in which the programmers document? Right? I mean, are, are there certain things? What what things can you put in those document in those documents when Steve bids on a job, when Rich does, when I do, that says, you know what? Here here are the outlines. This is the way I would like to see it done. Is there is, what what sort of things can you put in there? Honestly, it's 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 really tough. It's it's it's, it's a big challenge from from the consult, consultant's perspective, because um, we don't want to, you know, impose on Steve or you or, or anyone, you know, how how to do your job. We we kind of assume that you know what you're doing and, and are doing it right. Um, so we we look at it more as just kind of a, a more general uh, design methodology. You know, we assume that you're using the industry standard design rules and, and the tools, um, we shouldn't, honestly, I don't think we should have to tell you ha- how to document your code properly. That should just be part of what you do. So it's 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 more, um, uh, I, I, th- I think there's other things that just kind of need to happen, whether it's writing code or, or doing any other sort of design where, um, you know, like, like Richard was just saying, uh, you break you fix one thing and you break two more, or you don't remember what you did six months ago, or like Steve said, you're over-optimizing the code. So again, there, there are tools that are that are quite mature in the in the computer science, software engineering, uh, development world um, uh, of you know starting with flowcharts and pseudocode and just documenting and writing, making everything modular. We're, we're entering this this um, kind of age or this epoch of uh, control systems where, like we said, we're not just controlling BCRs anymore. So things like 
writing airtight code from the security perspective, I mean, that is critical and for anything. You know, we're talking about the Internet of Things. We're talking about cloud. As soon as you have all those hooks in there, you also open it up to vulnerabilities. The more sophisticated the control systems get, also the more uh, susceptible they are to attack. So things that we never really, you know, the security in AV has been, oh, put a, put a four-digit, um, uh, you know, 1988, uh, which which we all are going to smirk at because we all, right? Yeah, we've <laughs> all done it. In case anyone doesn't doesn't get that reference, you know, for, for years. Uh, yeah, that that one's still haunts you. Haunts you. You go into any AMX touch panel to get into the protected setup mode. The the default password was 1988, and and I was just at a website recently, just a couple months ago, and and. I went in there and, and it still worked. Oh, you know, this geez. is a system that had been up and running for, for 14 years and no one had, and all that time it was still 1988. So security is a big deal now. Um, the modern control systems are, they have all the JDIC or whatever it's called, you know, all, all the mil-spec um, testing and certification. So so the platforms are, are, are mature and can support this stuff, but the code has to, has to support it as well. Um, so, you know, there, there's a whole sequence of events that, that needs to happen um, on the on the process side, and a lot of that isn't. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm less concerned with what's under the hood. That to me is means and methods. You know, I tell you what you need to do, and then your big boys, you can go figure it out. Um, the important thing is that we're in agreement on on what the thing is supposed to do, and we don't want it to get uh, to the point where the system's been designed, it's been approved. This, Racks are built. You're going in there and putting the final touches on on you know the the the, the touch panel design, and, and suddenly you're uncovering that the system doesn't do what the client thought it was going to do, which then you know has major implications of inputs and outputs and 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 routing and switching and you know physical changes, in addition to rewriting hardware. I, I'm sorry, rewriting software and, and totally changing the interface. So so having all that um, kind of as part of the design process and, and having a methodology for approaching that, whether it's wireframes or pseudocode or, or, or pilots or sandboxing, you know, the, again, there's a lot of different techniques, a lot of different tools that, that come out of the software and design world um, that, that I think just need to be applied more to, to what we're talking about, to, to the AV control system world. Uh, so let me, let me ask this, and, and David, I'm going to come back to you first and then, and then the other two. So is there no value then in in standardizing um, from from your perspective and or from the the end user's perspective? Is there no value then in in making sure that that these things are documented correctly and, and written in such a way that's that's understandable? I don't know. There, there's there's huge value. Okay. There's, there's immense, enormous. I, I, the re, I can't the reason overstate I'm, the value yeah, of that. The, the reason I'm asking. Hang on. The reason I'm asking is because you said you it doesn't matter to you what what's under the hood. We're big boys. We know what we're doing. So that's kind of where I'm going with that. Okay. Okay. So let, let me let me clarify. What my, what I'm saying is that it's it's I'm assuming that everyone's doing that already. The same way when you're going in to buy a new car, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're looking at a Hyundai or a Honda or a Mercedes or whatever. You don't have to ask, hey, does this car have seatbelts? Hey, does this car have an airbag? Hey, does this car have cruise control? There there are certain things that are just understood that you're going to. You don't have to ask, hey, is that an option? Oh, do I have to pay more if I want the doors to lock? You know, certain things are optional and certain things are just expected. And, and there's that long list of basic features. 
And everything we're talking about now, I'm considering a basic feature. So, so maybe I'm a little overly optimistic, but um, I'm assuming that you're doing all this stuff correctly. You know, I'm not going to tell you which of those 20,000 SVNs to use. I'm not going to tell you to use Dropbox versus your own server versus a cloud storage system versus Google or whatever. That, that to me, is, is, is up to you. But um, you better not come back and say, hey, the, you know, my, my, I dropped my, someone stole my laptop last night and we have to start again. Or my hard drive crashed and I lost all the files. Or I come back to you six months later for a change and, you know, the programmer who wrote the code, you know, has since moved on or got hit by a bus and now you can't support the project properly. Those things are, are, are completely unacceptable. That, that, that's what I mean by, by I'm just, uh, it, it's, it's just there. It's, it's, okay. it's just got to be there. All right, so let's let's take that same example, right? Um, and uh, and pick on Stephen Rich. Uh, Rich, what's our seatbelts? You know, what what are the standard things uh, from the programming side that we should have in there? I mean, are we are we still going back to what we've been talking about, which is the you know the, the nomenclature and, and all this uh, revision software, or is it is there more to it that we should have standard? Um, I, it's funny is that what Dave was just talking about. He was he was spot on in terms of kind of means and methods, and it triggered you know what what is the standard? What's the responsibility? Honestly, as a as as a business owner, right? Let's just take this as you know whoever is listening is either you know a programmer or a business owner, an independent or part of a larger group. There's three things that you got to focus on first. Number one, it, the the reason for well built code and 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 um, properly commented source code is your legal liability. Okay, you've yeah. entered into an agreement. Yeah. You know somebody is paying you for a service, and if two years later, like David said, you know if programmer A, you know that worked for you ran off and the code is being held hostage or this that or you know how it, say you've you've written your service agreement to provide to contract code really really badly. And, you know we've had talks about this before, you know, and, and Troy's been, a, you know, great, uh, Troy Morgan was, was great about laying that out. You have a significant amount of legal liability in terms of the services that you provide that you need to make sure that you cover. So first, you need to make sure that your code puts you in a position that if something does go awry, that you're not getting sued, right? Second thing is you've got your professional responsibility, okay? So just you're standing in the industry, you're standing, you're standing with the manufacturers that you support, because again, you are, um, you know, whether you're a dealer or whether you're a services provider, like an ACE or CSP, you have certain standards that you have to maintain with that manufacturer that if they don't feel that you're supporting that, they're not gonna let you use their stuff anymore. Um, which goes into the third part, which is the company's your profitability, right? As an example, you know, I have said it before, I provide a lifetime warranty on my code. Well, if I half-ass it in the beginning, and three years later, I get a call that something that should have worked didn't, and it points out that, yeah, I wrote bad code. Guess who it costs? It costs me. It costs my profitability. So what I thought I made on the job is not what I actually have on the job. You do that enough, you're not going to be in business long enough because you're going to be spending all of your time fixing all the stuff that you got paid for. So unless you want to operate a not-for-profit status, you know, you're going to have a hard time moving forward. Um, and, and, I, and I, I think for me, it's, you know, why should you do it? Because you're going to lose money otherwise. It's, it's that simple. And so from the executive management standpoint and from the business owner standpoint, you know, you do it right so that you can actually be here a couple of years down the line to keep doing it. If you don't, 
tend, things will tend to bite you in the butt. And, and we've done it. You know, I, I've done it. And every time, you know, that I've tried thinking that I was going to outsmart the machine and take a shortcut, sure enough, may not have been that day or even a week, but somewhere down the line, it's bit me right in the ass. Yeah. And and I think that David is exactly on point, which is as the consultant and handing out these bid packages, whether it's residential or commercial, there are certain assumptions. You know, so what are our seatbelts? Is that first that you should be in business for the right reason, and you should be framing your software so that it will allow you to perpetuate your business. I mean, that's kind of what I view as the as the giant assumption. So it's a it's a long way, you know, it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, just know know what you're doing. You know, absolutely. And part of it is having your code positioned and cataloged and stored and commented in a way that you can efficiently and profitably support the project. Now, now all that stuff costs extra money, right? So one of the things that I think that, that needs to be identified is the value of that to a customer. Because we all know that it's important, and 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 as you said, Rich, that's how you stay in business, and that that's how we're successful. But, but how how do we compare the the fact that we're both getting to the end, same end result? And and although we we know what's under the hood, and we know what's better, and we've all looked at poorly written code, how does that com get communicated to an outsider? I mean, that, that that's I think one of the challenges that we face. I don't charge my clients for my laptops. Yes, you, know, you do. I don't. I don't. Yes, you do. I, I oh, don't, don't give me that. Okay. Oh. All right. Don't, so, yes, don't, so, yes, don't, yes, no, no, You charge your clients for your triple skinny latte for crying out loud. Like, like, like Rich was saying, if 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 you don't do this right, eventually it's going to come back and and, and bite you, um, because if 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 it if it kind of leaks out that you're not doing what you're expected to do. It's not going to get hired again by by that client, or you're not going to get specked in again by that consultant. Um, you're not going to get the referral for the next for the next project, and then and you're going to get stuck because you know inevitably there are going to be these little changes, these little modifications. If if your code isn't maintainable, in other words, if you're not doing it right, it's not going to be maintainable. It's not going to be flexible. It, things are going to break more often. Uh, you're not going to be able to accommodate basic simple requests. Uh, easily, it's going to end up costing you a lot more time. So, yes, Steve, you're right in that it costs more potentially to do it right up front. But in the long run, uh, my contention is that there's a huge ROI. That if you do it right to begin with, you build up a library. You're not starting from scratch every time, and and you're writing modular code. You know, again, these these big software houses and big software development. They've got where they've got millions of lines of code. They don't start from a blank piece of paper every time. They've got routines, and, and they only write new the stuff that's really unique to that application. And everything else, they just drag in from the library. And and there's this. Our stuff should really be no 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 different than that in terms of the approach. And that and that's an efficient approach. Again, going back to the laziness thing. Do it once. Do it right. And and that's ultimately going to save you as as the programmer, or you as the business owner. That's going to uh, ultimately, you know, profit. All right. Let, let's let me take an un, an unpopular angle at this. Right. Uh, let me clarify. I guess or or you know, full disclosure, Mr. Fergosa is an independent programmer. Steve is an independent programmer. His company is. I am, and I run a company called Innovet. We're independent programmers. So this is not going to be popular with our fellow independent programmer brethren. However, the question I think needs to be asked, how do we police bad 
programmers that give us all black eyes, right? They give us all bad names because David's right, and all you guys are right, that you, know, you have to be maintainable. However, there are people out there, and we all know who they are, you know, in, in your geographic area or in, in, in the AV industry in general. We know who these people are who have taken a class or think they know what they're doing. And, you know, in the integration world, they refer to them as trunk slammers, and I'm not sure what the programming equivalent of that is. But these are folks who probably don't have a certification, or if they do, it's 20 years old, and are getting hired on one-offs or getting hired by this consultant, and he realizes that it's a crap programmer, so they're not hired again. And this, So they go on to the next consultant, and she figures out that he's a bad programmer, so she doesn't hire him again. It goes on and on and on and on and on. So, Mr. Greenblatt, we'll kick this off with you. Give you the easy question: How do we do? How do we police this? I mean, how how do we keep our 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 fellow programmer? How do we keep our good name? I guess is the best way to ask this. I, I think the problem starts, and I, and I don't have a good answer because I wish I did because this has been an ongoing problem, and I think that we face that those we have to defeat the bad experiences that people have had over time every day. I mean, that that's I think one of the biggest things that we fight against. I was just meeting with. Uh, a, a, a consultant earlier today, and he, they were talking about the bad experience that their client has had with programming, and and it just goes on and on, and 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 we we just have we we fight against that, and and people just have these preconceived notions, and and many of them are valid, but I think it starts with with the with the process of writing the programming and uh, writing code, and I think that that's a lot of what we've been alluding to. If a programmer is showing up at a job site and opens his laptop and is starting the project in front of you, you know you're off to a bad start. And I think that that that, that that's one of the big red flags. And 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 you know what? I have customers that we still work with. I have that that just don't trust that you're working on their project unless they see you working on it. And or they'll have you come out to the site early because they don't have the confidence and in, in even though they know you that you're going to be prepared. So I I feel like that's that that the, the, the fact that we have to convince our customers, partners, whomever they are that the work done by a professional programmer is done in their office. And maybe the one of the things that we do is we give them a, a preview. Maybe we, we load in code remotely just to show them that, look, our job is, is, is ready. Our stuff is working. The problem is, is knowing whether it's going to work also depends on other factors. But, but I think that, that that's the one thing I could talk to is the fact that it, it is a process to write code that that is done well, and and I think it's not just something that you can do on the fly or overnight. Okay, uh, so I, I want to jump in if, if yeah. I can to just real, real real quick. So I think you know like that, this is one of the reasons honestly why I wanted to make sure I participated in this topic because it, it is critical, and, and part of it is a big part of it is, is is education, getting the word out, and and if the clients understand the difference, then they're going to ask for it. The same way, like no one would buy a car these days that didn't have seatbelts that are, you know, whatever, you know, inspected or that have, uh, wouldn't buy a car that hasn't been crash tested. 
and you, you see now, uh, even in car advertisements, oh, it's five-star safety tests and, and all that. So, so, so there is an awareness that, that didn't exist in the 60s when cars didn't even have seatbelts at all. So, so that's a big part of it. Um, the other big part of it is just to start to define some of these um, principles, which to us on this level are kind of common sense, um, but to kind of start to, to, to uh, make them more as, as either standards or best practices. And so um, if I can just for a second plug an effort that, that some of us are actually involved in right now, we're, we're updating um, <laughs> the dashboard for AV controls, which is kind of the closest thing that, that we have uh, in the industry right now. And, and we're taking it kind of to the next level to, to modern control systems and just talking about some of these basic principles. Um, I just started reading a, a book called The Design of Everyday Things which maybe many people have read by, by Don Norman. It's a very famous book. And again, he's just talking about just basic, basic things like like how to how, what should a door look like to make sure that you know which whether to pull or push, and if you're pushing on the left side or the right side, just basic things like that. And try to codify some of that. Try to define some of that, and, and try to get some buy-in. And, and then we've got a document that, that we can reference. Getting back to your, your previous question, you know, then I can put that in my spec. You know, must adhere to these to these standards or these best practices. And 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 then and then the values there, then the clients know, and then anyone who's not doing that is going to quickly get ostracized. Okay, so so back to the the document, and David's on on the committee, and uh, Mr. Greenblatt, you know, um, drafted me on onto this as well. And it, I tell you what, it's it's been an interesting um, uh, discussion. And actually, what wouldn't be a bad idea, Steve, is, is to see if we can get all these guys and gals on yeah, on on uh, on this program because that would be a that would be a neat discussion, but but David's sure. right, right? You know, this this is another document that we're trying to put out there, that help people like David and, and other consultants to keep us honest. Be honest, you know, let's be honest about it. Keep us honest. But Rich, what are some of the things that that taking David's lead on this that we can do to to make sure that David knows some of the not good programmers to make sure that they get uh, they don't get on the list or, you know, um, my main clients honestly are, are integrators. And so if let's say that David's doing a project here in St. Louis and, and one of my, in my integration clients calls me up and says, Hey, can you do this for me? And, and David sees my name on the list and he's like, heck no, <laughs> you're, you're, I don't want that dude doing my stuff. Um, how do we do that? You know, how do, how do we disseminate this information? Narc on everyone. Lovely. Just, just drop let's start. Let's start a website. Let's, let's start a website. Badprogrammers.com. Programming exactly. You know, forget snitches get stitches. No, we're not going that way. We're going the other way. Um, you know, call them out on social media, Facebook, it. Yeah, public shame. Angie, you know, Angie's list. Like dog shaming signs, right? Yes. You know, we're just gonna. Yeah, it's gonna be like the programming shaming. He's like, I'm gonna haul out my programmers. It's like I forgot to comment in or, you know. <laughs> I forgot. I, you know, I forgot there, to do there, a, a carriage return. Yeah, you know, I would love to say that you know, we've got a magic answer. We don't. You know, I mean, and you're dealing with you know the law of averages, right? So you know, let's let's extrapolate this to somebody who makes a web page, right? You can hire a web designer. And you can go to Joe's Web Design for $9.99 an hour, or you can go to a you know a graphic you know a web developer, right? You know, there's there's always going to be the people who feel that they can afford to be optimistic, 
right? And they're going to hedge their bet, and, and, and there's always going to be people who are looking to be opportunistic about it and, and jump on that. And, you know, whether their professional moral barometer allows them to go that way or not, I mean, you know, there, there is something called ethics, and not every company is going to have that. And, and that's just a reality uh, of things. You just hope that um, through education and, you know, through educating tech managers through places like Tech Talk or, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and working with tech. You know, I know a couple of guys who are trying to do this. Um, you know, I, 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 and I keep going back to, you know, if, if anybody's listening specifically to this section is, you know, how are you going to stay in business? How are you going to differentiate yourself? What is going to allow you to take the next step as opposed to looking and saying, yeah, all these other guys are trunk slammers or, you know, they're fly-by-night operations and how can I afford to compete? Well, find a way or get out. It's, it's that simple. Find a way or get out. Um, and it's kind of harsh, but that's the way that the market's going is that you are either going to provide a value-added service or you're going to chuck your ethics out the window and away you go and, you know, I'm, I'm off to the next and you're changing your website. You know, it's like I'm Joe's programming service. No, today I'm Jim's programming service. Um, you know, that's always going to be out there. To say that it isn't out there is just ridiculous. So, I think that customers are also becoming more, more savvy. You know, clients, end users, you know, these tech managers that you're alluding to, I mean, they, they've all been burned at this point. And they mm -hmm. kind of know what to look for. They know what questions to ask. And, and they don't... They're not willing to accept that substandard, that sub-quality. You know, they're expecting their expectations are really high, um, and uh, they don't necessarily want to pay extra for it. They're just again, they're 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 operating the same way that I am. They're just assuming that that's the baseline, and the reality is that things are competitive enough that, that they can demand it and get away with it. You know, not every project is necessarily going to be able to afford um, you know the level of service that, that we're talking about here. But that's true for, for AV in general. I mean, it's true for anything in general. Um, you know, they're not necessarily going to afford my design fee either. They're going to go down to, well, I was going to say Radio Shack, but that's... <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> come enough. on. <laughs> I was waiting all episode for that. <laughs> Where is yeah, the uh, AV world going to go when they need that one last piece <laughs> to make a system work? When I need a decent soldering iron, are you kidding me? <laughs> Go ahead, David. So it's the difference between going out and buying a hundred eighty dollar, you know, professional level sonar iron, or, or running down the block and getting a fifteen dollar one from Radio Shack. You know, it's it's there, there, there's a place for for them, but but I think the level that we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, using real you know, real professional tools, and 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 the same goes for hardware and soldering. And, you know, goes for goes for the software development as well. Yeah. Do you know how much Mark Lavecchia cost me in episode one by revealing my save as charges? You know, <laughs> my, my magical ability to double charge for save as. <laughs> you know, um, no, it's 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 absolutely that. It's it's that you know the the industry, whether it wants to or not, is maturing. It has to. There there are going to be too many outside influences, and and David exactly said it is that you know. People have been burned enough now. You know, we've got 20-plus odd years under our belts now of these systems being deployed. So there is now a history to work with, and people will now encounter it, and it's not the gee whiz stuff anymore when they walk in and they see a touch panel. You know, you came, you walked into a, an executive boardroom in 
1992, 1993. It was like, ooh, ah, look at this. It's automated. Now it's like, why isn't it? Um, and 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 so our clients are maturing in terms of their expectations. And so, you know, they're going to be able to spot it a lot faster as well. Uh, but uh, again, it's it's you know, and I, I I feel like I'm pleading to you know the business owners out there. It's like, man. You know, if, if, you, if you want to survive, if you want to be able to have longevity in the industry, um, that's, you know, coming back full circle to this. That's why you got to do it right. You know, it's a cost of doing business. It's the same thing like paying your electricity to keep your laptops on and cubicles and, you know, cop, you know, and your copy machines and all the other stuff. It's, it's part, it should be part of your operating expense. And if you're not looking at that, that, at, at it that way, why aren't you? Because chances are you probably really don't know where the money is coming in and out of your business. Yeah. All right. Um, as we kind of wrap this up, guys, let, let's take this to the customer level, right? Um, most of us, you know, touch the, the customer on some level directly, the actual end user. David obviously works for them uh, as, as he's designing the I system. I don't know if I've used the phrase, I touch You know what? I'm, it's Friday. <laughs> I'm tired. I've already done one podcast today. I'm on a plane to Amsterdam in two days. Leave me alone, Fergoza. Good night. <laughs> Tim's checking. Is this a good touch? Are you comfortable? Oh, is this a good touch? <laughs> May I proceed? Oh, my. No more Friday afternoon. No kidding. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey comes out in two weeks. You know, our, our safe word with our, with our clients. Um, where the heck was I going with this? I have no clue. Oh, how do we, how do we convince clients that this is worth it? Right? Uh, David specs a system. You know, Fergoza and I and, and Steve all kind of get them. And we put together our proposals. We put together our quotes. We say it's going to cost, you know... I don't know, two million dollars. I pull it out of my out of the air, and the client looks at that and goes, "Well, that's a lot of money. You know, why why is it two million dollars?" Some of that is our experience. Some of that is the fact that we do have processes and we do uh, have mechanisms in place that provide valuable code. Uh, so, Steve, what's how how do we convince clients that you know maybe it's not two million dollars, but but the fact that a good qualified programmer. Uh, is worth worth their weight in gold, and and you know you're not going to have any problems. How do we how do we communicate that? I, I, a couple of answers I could give you for that. One, I think David uh, hit the nail on the head earlier when he was saying that the technology managers are becoming a lot more savvy, a lot more demanding, a, a lot more knowledgeable. They they do what we do, many of them. So they're they're going to get their source code and they're going to open it. And then they're going to that, that that's going to be the, the 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 final factor right there. So so I mean we're no no longer going to be able to hide out in the source code and give them something that they are just going to put on a disk or or a hard drive or whatever it might be and forget about it or give it to the next guy. Many of them need to be able to know what's inside so that they can swap out a device, make small changes or whatever. So so we we. we Already, <clears throat> I think that that's um, one of the, the deciding factors. Um, the 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 other one is that I you know we we've been fighting this this battle for a long time. Uh, I think those that last and 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 those that are doing good work are are going to continue to and uh, and and 
it, it comes down to you get what you pay for, unfortunately, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, it, the, uh, I, I guess business will end up weeding out the bad people. I just, unfortunately, I, I hate to see people have those bad experiences and, and have to have, uh, have to learn from their mistakes. Yeah. All right. So one thing that, uh, I find encouraging, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot over the next, decade or two about this uh, AVIT integration. One of the positive uh, outcomes of this is that more and more of, of, of you know, your, your, our clients, your clients are, are, are IT folk. And they're used to dealing with things in a very kind of different way than traditional AV. Um, so they're used to having, you know, an SLA. They're used to having, you know, uptime requirements, you know, with, with monetary uh, repercussions if, if, if something breaks and goes down. Um, and, and they're also used to, you know, so they're used to more mission critical um, applications, and and they, they kind of put AV and AV control systems, um, you know, in, in that basket. So so in a way, it's nice, it's, it's elevated, but it also, you know, definitely puts puts the pressure on us to deliver. Um, but they're also dealing with with large scale integration of of, of various different. Um, communication systems and networks on, on a very high level with the databases of cloud and, and physical interfaces and storage systems. You know, they're, they're doing so much that, that what we're doing in comparison is, is often almost trivial and, and the fact that we can't get our stuff together enough to do it properly, um, you know, it's, it just doesn't fly with those people and, and, and they're just going to, you know, move on to the next. Um, yeah, that's, that's 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 where where I see things, you know, kind of heading more and more in that direction. Okay, all right, uh, Mr. Fergozzi, you have the last word on this one. Where uh, how how do we sell this to the clients? Where's our value? How do we sell our value? <sighs> you know, I mean, it's <laughs> uh, uh, again, it's it's you know, it's being able to differentiate yourself. It's being able to tell your story. It's being able to show why. You know, again, it's it's. It's like everything else. Is that it's it's good business sense. You know what gets you the sale. What doesn't get you the sale? The ability to be professional. The ability to answer the question before it's asked. The ability to ask the question that they don't know to ask. And and again, resi and, and commercial are different. Um, you know, commercial. You know, again, David. Well, you know, there'll be a spec coming from a consultant, and so you're working within the spec, and so your job is to prove why you're the best one for the job. And if you're coming in at uh, potentially a uh, a bit of a surcharge above where everybody else is. Well, why? You know, explain what, you know, can they, because again, it's, it's, if you're dealing with a decision maker or if the, or if somebody is reporting to a decision maker, learn to build your tools to allow people to champion you. I mean, and again, now, now we're getting away from like source code. Now we're getting into relationship sales and, yeah. you know, how to market your business and, and, and to to grow your programming business, you know, and that's a completely separate <laughs> conversation at that point. Um, but you know, I mean, writing good code is only part of the equation. You know, knowing how to sell that you write good code is the other part of the equation. Yeah. Um, and 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 that comes from that is that you know you be you know be have pride in your craftsmanship, number one. But also know that you have to be able to sell that craftsmanship. You know, people buy a Piaget watch for a reason. There's a pride in ownership. You know, we kind of take that approach with residential. Is that, you know, you're you're bringing us in because you're looking for a lifestyle experience. You're looking for a digital concierge. You're looking for somebody to facilitate. You know, you're looking for somebody 
like I said, to ask you the questions you don't know to ask or to ask you the questions in a way for you to be educated to make a decision. And that's a service. That's a value-added service as opposed to, hey, do you want a red button or a green button? You know, that that doesn't, that, that has no value necessarily inherently. Um, so like I said, I mean, that, that could be a completely different show altogether, which is how to market your programming services. Yeah. All right. We will leave it there. Uh, thank you guys so much, Mr. David Barnett from the Sexton Group. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How can, people get, how can people get a hold of you or the Sextant Group? Uh, you can hit us at our website. It's just www.thesextantgroup.com. Uh, phone number, emails, and stuff are there. Okay. Very good. Uh, Rich Fregosa, fregosadesign.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Also on the Twitter and on the Facebooks and all the other places on the interwebs. Thanks for having me. R. Fregosa. R. Fregosa. Uh, last but not least, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You can uh, reach me at uh, controlconcepts.net is our company website. Uh, Twitter is at Steve Greenblatt. And, and as uh, Rich uh, so graciously alluded to, uh, Mark Levecki and I are doing uh, a formed a technology managers community. And uh, for those interested, you can check it out at techtalkav.com. Yep. And uh, they, all, they do a very, very nice uh, podcast as well. Uh, just so, um, don't follow me, uh, but go by the website if you would, please. Avnation.tv, Avnation.tv. Uh, you'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, our most recent uh, AV crosstalk uh, was very, very interesting. Uh, I have a special interview one-on-one -on -one with Kirsten Nelson. The uh, the she's the outgoing editor at SCN, but she's the the uh, the new editor at large. Is her new. New title. She's still with New Bay, and since she's doing some really cool, neat things in AV, so check that out. Uh, I have a new uh, technology wrap. Of course, AV Week, uh, our weekly uh, podcast. Uh, as you're listening to this, most likely, we will be on our way to Amsterdam to cover ISE 2015. So check that out as well. Uh, so avnation.tv. avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been a State of Control.